From the Chattanooga Area Chamber of Commerce, I'm Jeremy Henderson, and this is Chattanooga Works. been to the south side anytime in the last few years you know the flying squirrel we are here with max pavel max how are you doing i'm wonderful how are you good we are at the flying squirrel um outside um outside the front doors um you want to tell us a little bit about this place yeah sure thanks for coming out this is your neighborhood bar and restaurant so we're here to to feed and drink you but we also you know we want you to come on down and live life and talk to your friends hang out so we got all our friends here today, and we're just going to walk around and talk about the place. Okay, excellent. Um, and we're starting outside. Yeah. The squirrel has a really open floor plan. Yeah, starting on the patio, which is dog-friendly. So bring your little friends by. Uh, and, yeah, really, when we get inside, we'll talk about it more, but try to also attempt to make the inside the outside with some roll-up doors. But really just tried to have a, a comfortable environment to hang out in that was... Uh, you know, visually stimulating enough where we don't have to have TVs, and then you can just have good conversation. Sure, excellent. Uh, you want to go in? I'd love to. Max and his partner Dan first came to Chattanooga because of the outdoor scene. After opening the Crash Pad, a hostel catering to rock climbers, they wanted a place where locals and visitors alike could gather and share their love for the outdoors. That's why the Squirrel's open design helps bring the outside inside. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the inside. We got a mix of seating here. We got some more traditional booths. Oh, there's Nick, the man who brings the booze. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and some standing tables and the bar, which again, you'll see. Just kidding, listeners. Uh, we got some roll up doors, so when the weather is nice, we can really kind of transform the place and bring the outside inside. Okay. Um, and you want to speak a little bit about the architecture? Sure. Uh, so we worked with Thomas Palmer, who was the lead architect on this, and you know my business partner Dan and I, we had a vague notion of what we kind of wanted out of the place, which didn't really include any design notes other than like we knew we wanted the you know a nice place to hang out, all the stuff along those lines. But as far as the actual design, that all just kind of came out of Thomas's mind there, and you know his first draft was very similar to what you see. We Dan and I do like being very involved in the design process, so. There's back and forth and some changing things, but you know the kind of the, the backbone of the place, these trusses that are exposed. Just you know, those were in the original drawing. We just really love the design. You know, both here and next door at Crash Pad, really into that kind of industrial but homey look. So I mean, these are materials that actually the guys who made the trusses, they made them, they shipped them out. Normally that's the end of the job for them, but they come over to the site when they're being installed. Cause they're like. We heard like these things are going to be, you know, exposed. We just had to come see like what what was going on with this. So it was just a, a really interesting use of something that's been used all the time, but you never really see it and it's become kind of the, the one of the key design notes. Cool. And, Why uh, the canoe over the bar? So in that perfect transition, I was going to get into the next large part of our design. Matt Sears, Haskell Sears Design. He was our woodworker next door at Crash Pad. We brought him back here. He basically reclaimed a barn, which is a lot of what you see around the outside here. Uh, as well as ever since we've known him in the corner of his shop he had this canoe and I believe it was some like old, old project he was working on or assignment for something it's just been kind of sitting there it was like half covered in whatever to try to make it a little weatherproof and go out but we're like that thing's beautiful can we just make that into a light fixture or something and so he flipped it upside down cleaned it up we strung LED lights on the inside of it and 
uh, we'll see after the light goes down here. It's really cool. It just makes the whole thing kind of glow. It's a nice little centerpiece over the bar. Sharing really is the watchword for the squirrel. Not just shared space, but shared food. For a couple of rock climbers turned restaurateurs, community really is important. So our menu is built for sharing as well as for getting upwards of dinner. So it's really, I don't know, Pangean cuisine is one cheeky term. It's really from all over the place. Uh, We try to get the best, freshest raw ingredients we can and do fun things with them. Try to not have kind of the... Uh, you know, stuffiness or price tag that can come with some fine dining stuff and really just make it more approachable. Again, the, the shareable concept, it fits into us, you know, again, not having TVs. We want you to come and socialize with the people that you're here to be with. So come on down and, you know, if the, the food experience can mirror that and play into that, that's great. The next time you're looking to share good food with good friends, think about the local bar with a funny name. Today we're joined by Max Popple and Dan Rose with The Flying Squirrel. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Squirrel? Flying Squirrel, your neighborhood bar and restaurant. You know, We just really want you to come on out and enjoy life and the people that you're there with and get some great food and drink while you're doing it. Okay. Um, and for, for those that don't know, um, you guys have been doing business here for a while. You actually started with uh, Crash Pad. Yeah. Started next door, Crash Pad, our uncommon hostel. Tried to take the best of the traditional hostel model with the affordability and the communal nature, but blend that with more of the style, cleanliness, charm you get with a boutique hotel. And so Crash Pad's our base camp that we created seven plus years ago. And Short version on the squirrel is we wanted to be able to serve liquor there and didn't have the seating or kitchen requirements, so that kind of grew into its own wonderful beast. So that's why you guys decided to get into the restaurant business. Yeah, well, we always knew we wanted to be able to provide the amenity to the guests, and looking at how the permits work, that's how it had to go. Safe to say we did not, we underestimated how much of an undertaking a 150-seat bar restaurant would be. When you have zero experience. <laughs> yep. But we're still alive and uh, still in business. Yeah, no, and it's a great place. Um, so why Chattanooga originally? We moved down here uh, for the rock climbing. So not, not entirely sight unseen. Max had been here to do an internship with a company that he ended up taking a job with. When we did make the move, we had visited as well for an uh, outdoor climbing event that's uh, now in its... I don't know, 15th year running the Triple Crown bouldering series. Yeah. So that was our first taste of the place was uh, in November of 2005. Um, and No, I'm uh, sorry. November 2003 was the first time that we ever came down here. Okay. The crash pad originally sort of catered to rock climbers when, when you guys built it. Yeah, we still have our mission is to be the base camp and outdoor hub for all of the outdoor athletes coming through town. You know, beyond rock climbing, there's amazing trails and rivers, so all those folks. Uh, but, you know, we ended up with a secure, centrally located, affordable place to stay, and that's just had the general tourism appeal as well. So, you know, anecdotally, about half the business comes from, uh, you know, people just coming through town looking for a place to stay in the heart of it all. Sure. And the identity of the place as a sort of outdoor sports hub is an attractive thing to people who are not into those things, rather than them feeling put off by it or like they're not welcome. They kind of think it's cool. Sure. And while obviously the the Flying Squirrel kind of caters to everyone, um, some of that sort of 
flavor transitions over there a little bit, it feels like. It's sort of the outdoor scene here. There's a synergy between them, for sure. The squirrel itself was um, built in a really kind of open way. Um, the, the architecture is pretty unique. Can you speak about that at all? Yeah, uh, Thomas Palmer, who is a friend now and, and a very accomplished architect, uh, he had come on late in the Crashpad project to help us design the reconstruction of an old house that used to be on the site when we bought the property. Uh, turned out to be a teardown, but we built our outdoor pavilion event space out of the uh, reclaimed bricks from the old house. And he, uh, he designed that thing and then came on board to, uh, to design the squirrel once we started working on that. Uh, we, Max and I are really hands-on as far as wanting to be involved in the planning of everything, but we also know what our limitations are. And sure. so we, for a guy like Thomas, uh, he, he could come in and pretty much have full creative freedom to do what he wanted to. And another thing was we didn't really know what exactly we wanted to do. Um, so the, the squirrel as it is now is a, is a result of that, is all of us kind of coming into it with a really just a blank canvas to work on, which, uh, you know, Thomas said that, doing something like that is much more challenging than renovating a, an existing building or anything where you've already got a floor plan or even just a basic layout. Sure. Um, and so you guys have a pretty wide selection of beers down there, I know, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about the food. How, do you, uh, how did you come up with your menu? Uh, originally, well, and kind of in keeping with Max and I not actually knowing how to do anything besides coach and support people uh we leaned really heavily on our opening executive chef and and gave him pretty much free reign with the understanding that we were trying to keep to a somewhat of like a small plates concept shareable socially enjoyable um rather than a more formal coursed out dinner kind of place uh in the years since we have considered and reconsidered again and again sort of who we want to be in the context of the Chattanooga dining scene. And, and it is still, we're still adapting to the changes in the neighborhood and ultimately still trying to figure out kind of who we want to be. Um, but the short answer to your question is that we hired a chef. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And we got to give a shout out to, to our new chef just took over Ben Park and he's been rolling out his fall menu and making some changes there. So if you haven't been in a little while, come on down and check out some of the goodness. Okay, great. Um, so for someone, and I imagine this isn't many people in this town, but let's imagine a person who's never been to the Flying Squirrel before. Yeah, they're out there. There's lots of them. Yeah. Um, how would you describe it to that person? I would say that we, what, what drives the menu is we want to do things that are creative, attractive, locally sourced as much as possible, and drawing from a wide range of culinary influences. So that may seem like a dodge, but we have or have had things as diverse as tacos, fried chicken, ramen, really nice salads. I mean, any, any kind of food can be tweaked to be appropriate for our menu, we feel. Um, so not, not a meat and potatoes kind of place. Um, far from it, but we try not to be too esoteric. You know, we, we 
aren't trying to do everyday run-of-the-mill stuff, but we also want it to be approachable enough that uh, people actually come in and buy the food. In case you were asking about the general squirrel concept, we're smitten with the idea of the third place. First place is your home, second place your work, the third place where you go to live life, to socialize, to relax. So that's what we really tried to create. They're very intentionally no TVs. Uh, again, you know, Dan mentioned we started with a, a basically all shareable menu because that's part of the experience there. And, you know, we have expanded and now it's not just a place to get drinks and small plates before you go to dinner, but come on down and get a, get a full dinner. Well, and I think a lot of that is reflected. I mean, we already spoke about the architecture, but the fact that, you know, you have that open bar concept where you can be either inside or outside at the bar. Um, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing and fairly unique. I don't think anyone in town quite does that other than the squirrel. There've been a, a few places that have popped up that definitely haven't. I mean, it's it, one of those concepts that like, once you do it, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it, you know, it's just a fun way to be able to bring the inside outside. Sure. And uh, another thing I think that kind of makes you guys unique, you, you do a lot of give back nights, um, a ton really. Um, what, what was behind the decision to to do so many of those. You got time for a story? Absolutely. All right. So this goes back uh, a, a local organization we work with, uh, Chattanooga Therape- Therapeutic Recreation Department. I might be wrong on one of those yeah, words. Therapeutic Recreation Services. They're, they're a branch of the city that provides uh, outdoors and exercise opportunities for people of all ages who have emotional and cognitive disabilities. There we go. So... We love those guys. We'd go on out, we'd belay them, and then they had this really cool opportunity where you could go out uh, and go to dinner one night, and some like 10% of the proceeds are going to be donated to the organization. So we went on out, uh, and then we found out some of the technicalities from the company were like, well, you got to have like this one little flyer thing, and then also it's only for these limited hours. So that time it was probably like right before the squirrel. And then when we had the squirrel, we were like, well, why don't we kind of expand on that? And you know, get rid of the just for, you know, your group. And so it's everybody who comes in and we'll make it all night because that's awesome. And it just kind of grew from there. And then we started partnering with the nonprofits and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's snowballed into just a, a great way for us to be able to give back to the community, which is one of our core values. And how do you guys uh, get hooked up with the organizations that you do give backs with? We have almost never reached out to an organization. Um, we get a lot of requests um, people just email the uh, contact box at the squirrel and say, Hey, I'm part of this local or local branch of a national nonprofit. What do we need to do to get in the queue? And, and we have our requirements, you know, I mean, for, for it to be a win-win, we need them to take it seriously from a standpoint of like marketing the event and kind of treating it as their own and sure, just making it making it a real party, you know, going to whatever efforts they can do to draw people in. And from, from that point of view, it is a marketing thing for us as well, um, to be honest, because it does bring in a lot of people who might otherwise never have uh, never have known about the place. Well, and it really embeds you guys in the community, I think, in a really unique way, too. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great program. Yeah, I mean, it felt right, and it's simple. And I don't know, Max, how many different organizations have we partnered with? Probably over 100 Yep. And, and donated over a hundred thousand dollars so far in the in the five years that we've been open. Which I understand that there are big fundraiser parties that generate that much in a single night, but that's not us. Until we start selling five thousand dollar tables, but uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> All right, uh, last question. Favorite thing on the menu? Mm. 
I'm going to have to go with the fried chicken. This is Bert's bird, we call it. Bert is our meat master in the back, and he's got Mima's fried chicken recipe. It is just magical. It's just some good old southern fried chicken that you should come check out. I know I'm biased, but I think it's some of the best in town, so come on down. Let me know what you think. Sounds great. Uh, I'll go on the lighter side, and uh, uh, one that just hit the menu is our panzanella salad, which is quite literally translated as stale bread. We take um, Need Love's baguette, mix it in with uh, local kale and lettuces and tempura fried butternut squash and some other really wonderful things. Excellent. All right. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. That'll do it. Quick, what's the first thing that pops into your head when I say the letters YMCA? It's the song, right? We all know it's the song. But it turns out there's a lot more to your local YMCA than exercise equipment and the village people. We sent Sandra Brewer, the Vice President of Membership and Investor Relations, to the downtown branch of the YMCA here in Chattanooga. We're going down. Going oh, further we're down. down. Oh, yeah. oh my god. Oh, so cool. It's a basement and then there's a this is well I'll get down here, I'll talk to you about what it what's down here. You know, when I got here, this whole area was just dark and there were, nothing was going on. You didn't even want to walk around it. And I said, you know, we've got all these things we want to start. Why are we not taking advantage of this space? So far. this is Three Bridges called CrossFit. So this is our CrossFit program and an Olympic training program that we do down here. And so it at times is extremely crowded. And we have uh, um, uh, Bryce Johnson, who is the um, kind of runs this, is one of the only people in town certified to train Olympic uh, Olympic athletes. Yeah. So he, he kind of runs this for us. She spoke with Janet Dunn, president and CEO of the YMCA of Metropolitan Chattanooga, about everything from pools to preschoolers. Then we have a lap pool that uh, is kept cooler, using it for a master swim team. You know, we've got some swim team folks. A lot of the triathletes, you know, or the people uh, doing the, um, uh, gosh, what is it? I guess it is a triathlon, right? Yeah, Ironman. Ironman. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, you know, we're going to use this pool. I think it's the only one left. Well, I think Gold's Gym might have a little tiny pool. You have one at Hickson too, don't you? Um, we have lots of pools, but for downtown area, this is this is probably the only pool left now since uh, Sports Barn closed the one from Erlanger that Erlanger ran. So, anyways, this is a this is a lap pool, so it's kept at a cooler temperature than the rest. So which lap swimmers like when they're working out. Okay. So how many employees do y'all have? Uh, we have 1,200 employees throughout the association. So this is one, this is the downtown branch. We have eight branches across the greater um, Chattanooga area. And this, this is just one of the branches. This is the largest of all of them. And now it has, it didn't have to, but it's one of the fastest growing branches, probably second in line of all the others as far as the growth. And I think a lot of that has come from all of the development that's happening downtown and the people that are moving downtown and all of that. Yeah. You're going to love this. I'm taking you into the preschool. I've been here to read before. Yeah. I love this. We have very large preschool 
it's all um, secured, so parents are the only ones other than staff that can actually get into the preschool area, so it's a very secured um, place that's really um, for the children and parents' benefit that they know that there's not people walking in off the street that can get access. How many children do you have in um, We're licensed for 90 kids, starting at the age of one, going all up up until kindergarten when they start kindergarten and then we start after school programs across the area for kids that are older than that so um do you have this at other locations or just this one this is the only one right now that has a preschool we're getting ready to open up another preschool at st paul's right here uh, we're getting ready to open one up at willow street on willow street uh, we have an early learning readiness program, which is really unique, and that's located in, co in collaboration with Eastlake Church, um, New City, Eastlake New City, and um, it's a really unique preschool program in that it's um, primarily for uh, children of socioeconomically disadvantaged homes, a uh, lot of uh, Latino children particularly, and so the staff there are bilingual. And um, the, the neat thing about it is that the caregiver must come with them to the preschool program because we're trying to equip the caregiver to take better care of their kids and the kids that they watch. So we actually require them to come with them. And so it's a very unique program, but it's called Early Learning Readiness. Hey guys. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How good are morning. You? Yeah. Can you say good morning? What's that in my hand? Nothing. I think this. Oh, this <laughs> is a microphone. Do you want to say something into the microphone so you yeah. could be on the radio? Yeah. Well, come over here. <laughs> say, Hello. Say, say good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Tell somebody how your name and how old you are. Three. You're three? Yeah. I'm three. You're three. Are all of you three? Yeah. You're the oldest. Just say your first name. Just somebody say their first name. I'm four. What's your first name? Paige Christina Cook. Paige? Okay. I'm four. Amanda. You're a wow. That's awesome. And you I'm, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm four. I'm four. I'm Wow. Well, thank you for talking on the radio. Okay. <laughs> have a good day. Bye. Of course, the Y still offers the sort of fitness services you would expect. Where one of the classrooms are. Just keeps going. Keep yeah. going. Wrap it Group cycling. This is also where we do pedaling for Parkinson's. Yeah. 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 This one, this is called MX. So it's another kind of a um, of a health program that's a little bit smaller group, but still is using really um, a, a um, uh, thing called TRX, where you're actually using your own body to be the weights. So it's kind of interesting, hand raised. But and then upstairs we have a personal training room, so our personal trainers can take folks upstairs and get them kind of out of the way. For all that, yeah. But they're also doing a lot of work in the community that you probably had no idea about. And you mentioned staff. to me that you feed up million kids a year. How does what? How does that work? What, who are you yeah. feeding? 
So we do. We we don't need to meet, uh, feed a million kids. We make a million meals. Next year we will. This year we will have made and delivered 800,000 meals to kids in the greater Chattanooga area. So that's uh, over 100 feeding sites that we have in the area. Some of them are just city parks where we'll show up and provide, particularly in the summer when school's not in session, kids don't have access to food. So we'll provide um, breakfast, lunch, and a snack. And our staff will come right into, the, into that park and there's a sign that says at what time they'll be there. And we deliver the meals. We do um, uh, nutrition education for them and some reading for them so there's not a summer learning loss. And, um, and then throughout the year, in almost every nonprofit that, that serves children, we continue to feed year round. So, Northside Neighborhood House, we provide the meals for those guys. We are the cafeteria for CGLA and the boys' school. We're their only cafeteria. So, we, have a, we actually run and, and um, make hot meals for them. Where do All, you make everything? So, we have a great collaboration with Orange Grove. So, when Orange Grove had to shut down their recycling center, we uh, we took it over and converted it into a um, uh, into a kitchen, and so the meals are made there. The the Orange Grove uh, clients actually uh, provide their volunteer hours to um, make help us make the meals, and then they in turn get food service licenses or certifications, so they can go out and get jobs in the food service industry. It's a great, awesome thing. And then there's Cecil. Cecil has been coming to the Y for years. Now he works there, greeting members and making them feel at home. Okay, ready? <laughs> um, I started and started coming here in 2011. I loved it. Uh, I love the community. Tell them what you do here at the Y. What I do? Yeah, what sure. do you do? What I do, um, I'm a water dad. I basically, I basically greet people and, um, I'll keep the fitness board and anything else that needs to be done and make the members feel at home. Yep, you show them how to use the equipment sometimes, right? I do, yep. I do. For you new know. members, yeah? I do. Anything a member needs up here, Cecil takes care of that for us. So, it's a great, great staff person. We appreciate them. All right, thank you. Awesome. All right, thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. We're joined today by Janet Dunn, President and CEO of the YMCA of Metropolitan Chattanooga. Welcome, Janet. Well, thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. It's great to be here. So we heard in the intro segment a little bit um, about the why the is more than people think. Uh, yeah. Um, you guys get up to a lot of things that people probably don't realize. Um, can you talk a little bit about what some of those things are? Well, you know, at first I'll just kind of talk a little bit about the Y in general. I think as a national movement, the YMCA is probably misunderstood in a lot of cases. I think people uh, relate us very, very closely to what we call swim and gym. They think of the swimming pools, they think of the fitness centers, and they think that's the YMCA. And I can tell you that in most communities around the country, the Y's in 10,000 neighborhoods across the country and in 120 uh, countries in the world, uh, that uh, the YMCA is, is very unique to each one of those communities. So we laughingly say when you've seen one Y, you've seen one Y, because each YMCA will do things a little differently depending upon their community. And in this particular community, that's very true. So we have what you see, and that's obviously people relate it to the 
facilities that they see around the greater Chattanooga area and think that's the YMCA. But we also are providing food to children. We're providing intervention and prevention programs for uh, children uh, uh, that could potentially go on the wrong path. That might be status offenders. We're also providing uh, um, ma- preventive maintenance programs for uh, people with chronic diseases. And then the traditional things that you know about in childcare and uh, youth sports and day camp and those types of things. So the Y has been around in this community in particular, for a very long time. Well, since 1871. So we are the longest social service nonprofit in the community. Wow. Okay. Um, and like like you said, you've seen one why, you've seen one why. That that kind of proves true even within the facilities around here, right? It, it really does. Each one of our facilities have just something a little bit to offer based upon the communities. For example, the Cleveland branch has a uh, outdoor water park. And that's the only branch of ours that has that. So that's a little bit unique for the Cleveland community. Our North River branch is where we start all of our chronic disease programming, and then we perfect it there and move it out to all of our other branches. So it's, it's called the Healthy Living Center at North River because that's where we do all of those kinds of things. So that's a little bit unique. Our downtown branch, for example, has a very large CrossFit program in the very basement of it. A lot of people don't realize that, but we do a lot of innovation in our uh, fitness programs at the downtown branch and then, get, then spread them out to, to other uh, the other branches. In North Georgia, we have um, very, a large after-school program. We're in 30 different program sites in North Georgia. We don't have a branch there. We don't have a traditional YMCA facility there. And so we have to do all of our things out in the community using other people's facilities to make that happen. Um, and we heard a little bit about your uh, food program efforts in the intro segment. Um, could you speak a little bit specifically? The Y the is doing a lot of work to address the issue of food deserts specifically. We are. So a few years ago, uh, there was a survey that was conducted in the community and determined that about 62,000 people in the greater Chattanooga area uh, were in what was called food deserts. And a food desert's described as uh, it, that a grocery store is, with, is not within one mile of that particular area. So we were hearing stories like uh, people in wheelchairs were, were getting to the grocery store in their wheelchair, having to only buy what they could put, physically put on their laps, and having to uh, to get themselves back home. So our first attempt at really uh, working with food insecurity is what we call our mobile market. And that's really a grocery store on wheels. And that's where we go into uh, several different inner city uh, neighborhoods where there are no grocery stores within that one mile radius. And we open up our doors and we, we sell food. We sell perishables and non-perishable items. We do accept food stamps. It's traditionally an older population uh, that lacks transportation or a population that is so socioeconomically disadvantaged that may also lack uh, transportation. So we sell things at a very reasonable cost, and uh, that has been a tremendous help in beginning this food, uh, this food program for the Y. So we thought, okay, we need to be able to sustain that long term. And we also need to pay attention to the fact that there were children across this community that were not getting fed. When school is out, primarily, schools in, in many cases are their places 
to get their food, their nourishment for the day. And when the school is out, for whatever reason, on the weekends, during the summer, what are kids doing to get food? And so we started what a program called Mobile um, Food, Mobile Fit and Fun, actually. And we take vans out to, uh, in particular, 25 different neighborhoods in the inner city of Chattanooga that don't have access to food. And we spend about 45 minutes with the kids, teaching them about nutrition nutrition, give physical exercise, reading, and by the way, we give them a meal. And so that has grown over the years. Uh, seven years ago, we started this with four sites, and now we're up to over 100 feeding sites across the greater Chattanooga area. And this year, we will prepare and deliver 800,000 meals to kids under the age of 18. Wow. Um, so I it sounds like you've been up to this for a while now. Well, um, only about seven years. So we've grown tremendously. And yeah, every absolutely. year it's a phone call. Someone hears about this and we'll, our staff will get a phone call that says, listen, we, you know, we, we live in an area that's, that's not able to get food. We'd love to start the program here. And so we try to accommodate those. Yeah, that's great. A- absolutely. Um, I'm just sort of curious. Most people don't think about food when it comes to the why. And that's most definitely true. Um, what what led you guys to want to tackle this particular issue? Well, our J.A. Henry branch, which is our community outreach branch, is really connected in this community. And it was through the efforts of uh, of one of our staff people through that branch that said, uh, that was meeting with community leaders and recognized that there was this food insecurity that was evident and said, maybe there's a way the Y can, can begin to help. And generally, that's what we do. We don't like to duplicate services. So if somebody else is doing something really well, we don't need to, to also do that. We don't need to duplicate that. But in this particular case, no one else really had the capacity like the Y did to be able to take this on. And so, again, it started small and it's grown. And, and by the way, it's volunteer-led. So I won't say led. We do have staff that lead it, but it's vo- it, it depends heavily upon volunteers. So between three and 400 volunteers a year to be able to pack those meals to create those meals so we don't just uh, put you know food in there that has that's already been packaged up prepackaged we actually make the meals and they're all healthy food and so it's nothing to wrap 900 tacos I've done it and uh, and put them in bags so there that will be going out to children so those kinds of things take a lot of manpower to make happen sure no absolutely um, and if if you're a member of the Y, your membership dollars are helping to support these programs. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because that's really something very different than some of the other organizations, or not organizations, but some of the other places in the community that might be offering the physical fitness aspects of the and the swimming that they do, is that our members are helping to pay for programs like that, for our feeding program, for our YCAP program, which is our after-school program for, for boys and girls who are uh, on the wrong path to, um, and we're trying to change that. So, you know, your, your YMCA dollar doesn't go just to pay for that treadmill, you know, or just that swim, that swimming pool, but it goes to provide for all of these other things that we're doing. Well, and speaking of membership dollars, um, you guys also offer, uh, 
scholarships for people. We, we do. And, you know, that's another thing that, that most people in the community don't even know about. But we raise about, uh, we'll raise through our community support campaign $800,000 to provide directly for scholarships for people who can't afford memberships and programs. On top of that, we raise about $1.6 million to be able to go back to the community, not only through those scholarships, but also in offering free programs to participants like the YCAP program. It doesn't cost the participants anything to belong to, to be a part of the YCAP program. Our Live Strong at the Y program, which is our cancer survivor program, doesn't cost our participants any amount of money at all. So we have several programs like that that are free to the participants, but we somehow have to pay for that, and so we raise money for that reason. And some of that stuff fits uh, a little more logically into what people think of when they think about the why, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but could you speak a little bit more about, for instance, your uh, chronic disease management programs? Yeah, so about four years ago uh, or five years ago, uh, YMCA of the USA and the, on the national level began to to dip our, our toe in the water around chronic disease management. We've always been a prevention place, and that's really been the fitness realm. You know, stay healthy and you'll be healthy, right? Well, as we found out, there are so many different um, genetics and things that happen to people who even are trying to be healthy that are beyond their control. So about five years ago, we started with a Live Strong at the Y program. And Live Strong at the Y is a program for people who are either in um, treatment for cancer or survivors of cancer. And it's a 12-week program where, you know, the doctor's job is to save their life. Our job is to get them back to whatever that normal is for them again. So uh, it's through um, physical exercise and through support groups that we work with people that of um, all different kinds of camp- cancer, um, all different age of people, and they come to us for 12 weeks, and we work on getting their health back up to what that new normal will be, and also um, for them just to talk about the disease with other people who have also experienced that. It's a very powerful program. We have a waiting list for that program every year. And so each one of our branches now will do that two to three times a year, we'll do that program. And uh, we get referrals from doctors. Uh, People can come in on their own that have seen, that know about it. And it's been successful. So that's, that's how we started our chronic disease. Then we moved to programs such as uh, diabetes prevention programs and understanding that, that that's, a, that's a, a crisis in this, this country. And so we work with people that have been diagnosed with that, again, in a classroom setting that also involves physical activity as well as the other things, their classroom things that they're working on, education, I guess, of nutrition. And then uh, we also recently, more recently, we've gotten very involved in Parkinson's disease and dementia. And so we have two programs. One's called um, Rocksteady for people with Parkinson's, and it's really a boxing and balance program. It's incredible to see that program. And then we have Pedaling Pedaling with Parkinson's, and that's a uh, bike program, a stationary bike program, because research has shown that if you can get someone with Parkinson's on a bike and keep them at a certain cadence for a certain amount of time, you can either diminish or reverse the effects of Parkinson's. 
and it's pretty incredible. So that's the other one we started. And then we have blood pressure management and uh, dement some dementia programs and some other things that we're doing in that whole realm of chronic disease. And again, the why feels like we're appropriate to do this, not only because our staff are trained, but we're located in communities in a lot of different places where we can uh, really have the capacity and the reach to be able to get to people. And so that's why we do those. Uh, speaking of boxing, I want to make sure I speak to you about your youth boxing yeah, program YCAP. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this past weekend, we had our Guns and Hoses, which is our big fundraising event where the police officers and the fire uh, firefighters uh, box each other. And that's always fun. So that's, that's interesting. But yeah, we do have a boxing program as part of our YCAP program. Not every child participates in boxing. They don't have to do that. But we also open it up to the community. So there are young people that are in the boxing program that are not even in the YCAP program. But the, the purpose of that is that, and it's 20 years old now, and it's, again, it's 100% funded through uh, third-party funding. And uh, the idea is that we, as beginning to work with kids that were street hard or had some different kinds of challenges before them, that we needed them to learn to accept responsibility, to accept accountability, and to learn that when life knocks you down, you have to get back up. So what, what's better than that than boxing? Just, just the idea of what it does is definitely that. And that's grown over the years, and it's been a very successful way for us to reach kids and help to illustrate uh, what, what life is all about. Awesome. And you've had some kids go through that program and then go on to box professionally. We have. Yeah. So we've had some kids that have boxed, um, that have boxed nationally and have been um, Golden Glove winners who have been junior Olympians. Um, we've, had, uh, we've had some kids that have tried out for the Olympics. And we do now have two professional boxers that came through the YCAP program as young people at the age of 10. And now they're in their early 20s and they're professional boxers. And they continue to, to box under the YCAP name and our regional uh, YCAP director um, is their coach. And so it's, it's pretty neat to see that. The last thing I kind of want to ask you about is um, sort of a newer initiative for you guys, I think, um, which is Miracle Field. Yes, yeah. So our Miracle League field uh, is just a little over a year old now. And uh, the way that that came to be is um, is I was actually in a Rotary meeting and Kim Chapman, um, who is kind of the founder of the Miracle League in this area, was was there. And, and I, I approached her after the meeting and told her about my ex prior experience with a Y in building and running a Miracle League program and offered my help. And so several m months later, she called and said, we really would like your help. And so um, they actually have been responsible. The Miracle League board is a separate board and they built the field um, and they continue to keep up, up, keep on the field. And it's another uh, great partnership with the city of Chattanooga because they have provided that space for the field to be built. And they actually provide the maintenance on that field. Uh, but we provide the programming. And so we're the ones that work with the community agencies and the families and the participants to provide baseball for people with disabilities. And it's pretty cool to see for the first time a parent 
be able to share the baseball experience with their child. You know, if you don't have a child with disabilities, you don't always know what that feels like not to be able to participate in normal, what you consider, you and I might consider normal youth activities. And so to see that happen is pretty incredible. And the, the children themselves and the adults, there's adults that participate. Uh, it's just uh, an unbelievably satisfying experience to, and humbling experience to see that program happen. And it happens uh, two seasons a year fall and spring and um, happens on Saturday mornings over at Warner Park at our Miracle League field, which is a specially built field, uh, specially built for people that uh, are in wheelchairs and on walkers so that it's happy, you know, good for wheels. Uh, also requires a lot of volunteer participation because each child is partnered up with an able-bodied buddy and their buddy helps get them around the field and becomes really a very big part of their life. So incredible program. We're really honored that the Miracle League board reached out to us and is allowing us to, to share in this program. It's amazing. Um, the, the amount of things you, you guys do, I had, I had no idea, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people probably don't. Yeah. Um, so if someone is interested in volunteering for one of these programs or, or uh, signing up for a membership to the Y, mm-hmm. uh, where would they go to learn more? Well, usually, you know, our Ys are pretty neighborhood-based. So usually there's a, there's a Y in somebody's neighborhood or in their area. And if they're interested in joining that Y, I would recommend they go to that branch, you know, get a tour of the facility and be able to, to register and, and join the Y right there. Um, it can also be done online, but I feel like that's very impersonal. And I think people People want to be able to see what they're joining and learn a little bit more because during our, our tours of the Y, we talk about these things. So people, uh, I, I really feel like our members understand what it is that their membership is providing. And I want that for them. I really do. So that's how I would encourage them to join the Y. They can also at that same time talk about um, volunteer opportunities. But, you know, we have a Facebook presence. We are Instagram. We have a website. And all of those also will not only explain these programs, but also allow people an opportunity of where they can either donate to the Y, because it does take a lot of money to uh, run these, these types of programs, or um, where they might be able to um, to sign up to volunteer or learn more about volunteering. And uh, membership pricing just kind of varies based it on does. a lot of different it factors. It does. Yeah, we have a, f- a household membership, so we have a very non-traditional uh, membership for families because we understand that there are people who are uh, raising p- potentially grandchildren. Uh, or maybe nieces and nephews. We also understand that people in a household might have an, a parent living with them. And so we extend memberships to households, not just families. And so from that perspective, I think um, we're very welcoming and opening. And so, yes, that, you know, those different membership categories are, have different prices. Thank you for being here today, Janet. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for us today on Chattanooga Works, and that's going to do it for Season 1 as well. Chattanooga Works is a production of the Chattanooga Area Chamber of Commerce. It's hosted by me, Jeremy Henderson, and Christy Gillenwater. Production and music by Eric Lissica. Our executive producer is Sybil Topol, with editorial assistance from Amanda Ellis. Thank you for joining us on this ride. We hope you've enjoyed it. 
We'll be back in a few months with season two. Until then, work at Chattanooga.